the Agile brand. Welcome to Season 6 of the Agile Brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1000 brands on MarTech, marketing operations, and CX, best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority is Action, Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priority is Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkillstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about machine learning in the enterprise and how, despite a less than stellar success rate, organizations can achieve success with the right approaches. Tell me to discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Eric Siegel, founder of Machine Learning Week and author of The AI Playbook, Mastering the Rare Art of Machine Learning Deployment. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Um, why don't we get started, though, with you giving a little background on yourself and what you're currently doing? Well, I've been an independent consultant for 20 years. I've been in machine learning for more than 30. I'm a former professor at Columbia University. I taught the graduate courses in AI machine learning. And uh, along with a new book, our conference series has moved to Phoenix, Arizona for this year in June, Machine Learning Week, which I've been running since 2009. We also have it in Berlin in October. A lot of exciting stuff going on with machine learning. On the other hand, a lot of projects failed to deploy and we, we take that up in the conference, we take that up in the book, and uh, that's why I'm glad to have this opportunity to speak to your listeners. Yeah, yeah, definitely want to want to dive right in, actually. So yeah, as you mentioned, uh, your, your new book, The AI Playbook, um, discusses that, as you just said, you know, uh, machine learning projects fail to deploy with zero return on investment more often than... I know everyone would like them to. So, you know, why why do you think this is the case, and what are some common mistakes that you see organizations making? Well, the big the biggest mistakes are organizational rather rather than technical, and ultimately, this comes down to a disconnect between biz and tech, between the quants, between the data scientists and the business stakeholder, their client, their boss, their you know the person running the line of business, the line of business manager who's running the operations meant to be improved by machine learning. Here's the thing that people haven't quite realized. This is a, this core technology is awesome. That's why I and probably most data scientists got into it in the first place. The coolest kind of science. But in terms of actually delivering value, that means it needs to deliver change. The way operations are being conducted at a company need to actually get altered in a good way by way of the predictions that machine learning outputs. And that change, actually changing business as usual, changing the larger scale operations, that's a big organizational challenge, requires everyone getting on the same page, semi-technical understanding of what the project entails across all the business stakeholders and anyone touched by the project or involved in any way, and a uniform process that allows people to collaborate deeply end to end so that not only is the 
Cortex sound, not only is the number crunching done well and you have a predictive model that works well, but it actually gets integrated, deployed, put into production so that, you know, operationalized so that it's actually improving business. That last step is the, is, is that last mile is where, where we often fall short. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, maybe just even to take a step back for a second, you know, AI, we certainly talk about AI in a lot of different ways on, on this show and certainly top of mind for many, but there's a lot, uh, that's a pretty broad umbrella, you know, to, to be talking about when you're, when you're focusing on AI and machine learning, you know, what exactly, you know, how would it, exactly would you define it? So machine learning is technology that learns from data, from experience. Data is a recording of experience. It's, it's, it's the collective experience of organization. It's a long list of think prior events. And has this transaction turned out to be fraudulent? Did this customer buy or did they cancel, et cetera, from which it's possible to learn to predict. And that's what you're generating is a predictive model. And by generating the model, that's the thing that's been learned yeah. in order to drive and improve large scale operations, such as with marketing and fraud detection. Now, everything I just said, you could call that predictive AI if you want to differentiate it from generative. Also was yeah. called, it, it still is called predictive analytics or just enterprise machine learning. These are the established use cases. This is the type of this is the way in which you apply machine learning. This is what you turn to if if your goal is to improve all the existing largest scale operations at your organization. Now, generative AI obviously is, is using the same core technology, but instead of predicting per customer or per, per product or per satellite that might run out of battery, per drilling location that might have oil, right? right. It's operating per word or more technically per token, but what should be the next word that I write in the sentence? How should I change this pixel as I'm rendering and generating a new image? So the generative of generative AI is not actually referring really to any specific technology, but rather the, the application area, which is that it's using to generate new content items. Obviously that serves a very different purpose at an organization. And it's a bit apples and oranges, even though they're on both under the quote, AI umbrella. Now, AI, of course, can kind of mean whatever you want. The word intelligence is is amorphous. Mm -hmm. right. And because of that, it really lends itself to hype. And I think the hype is a really big, big, big problem, not just something to laugh at. I think it's actually very costly. But the antidote to hype is super simple and straightforward, which is just focus for any given project on a very concrete value proposition. What are the operations and how are they going to improve. And that applies just as much to generative as to predictive. So if you're going to be using the thing to write first drafts of letters before you send them out, you always have to have a human basically proofreading very much so, you know, that's a change to operations. But you need to start from the get-go of foreseeing how's this thing going to end? What's the culmination? What's the purpose? How are operations going to improve? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, as as you're talking about the some of the um, challenges and and failure points in ML deployments and, and things like that, you know, it, it definitely reminds me of, you know, digital transformations in general. I mean, they may include generative, predictive, you know, all, all of the above as well within them, or, you know, they may include many, many other things in addition, but, you know, digital transformations have a just abysmal failure rate as well. Do mm. you see like, is it the same kind of issues that you already kind of defined that are kind of the, the same between a, 
let's say just more broadly digital transformations and machine learning um, initiatives, or is there something different or, you know, where, where do you see the similarities versus the differences? I mean, that's a great question. And it's, it's something that's like a, would be a great research area. Let's me, let me talk specifically about what it, where the issues are with machine learning, because machine learning is a very particular thing. And it does require, most people haven't quite wrapped their heads around this. It requires a very specific, specialized business practice paradigm playbook, like in the title of my book. And that's what the book's about. It's a six step process, uh, organizational process in order to successfully run the project. So not only is the tech and number crunching sound, but also it actually gets deployed and everyone, on, even on the business side, is enough on the same page to, to contribute to that process and actually authorize it in, from an informed, understood standpoint. So it takes a very particular specialized process because what we're talking about is predictions. Now, prediction is basically a shorthand for probabilities. But the reason we don't call it probabilities is because that sounds boring. But <laughs> it's not boring because all you're saying when you say the word probability is a number between 0 and 1 or between 0 and 100, same difference, that tells you what are the chances based on the data we have and the best science that we have that this outcome or behavior is going to happen. Is this individual customer going to click, buy, lie, or die, commit an act of fraud, turn out to be a bad debtor, et cetera? Yeah. And you're putting a number because the thing is, what we don't have is a magic crystal ball. We don't have clairvoyance. We can't expect computers to either, but they can predict better than guessing and generally better than humans. And that ends up being extremely valuable. But once you recognize, okay, it's not predicting perfectly, and in that sense also has can also gauge its own confidence, well, yeah. the confidence is the probability. That's what it's doing. It's saying, hey, there's a 30% chance this customer is going to cancel. Not a hundred percent chance. They're still probably not going to cancel, but there's but compared to the baseline where only five percent are going to cancel in the next whatever the time window is three three months or whatever. Okay, it's six times more likely than average to cancel. That's a big difference, yeah. and it turns out to, to allow businesses to play the numbers games that are intrinsic to what that's inherently what business is. It's a numbers game. Now you tip the odds in your favor. Acting on probabilities is the enlightenment. I mean. This is what we need to do. This is the best of applying science to improve business procedures and business outcomes. So that's what we're talking about. But people shy away from probabilities. The semi-technical understanding that's going to overcome the, the pitfalls that are so often encountered is that business side stakeholders get their head around three things. What's predicted, how well, and what's done about it. So in other words, the probability of what exactly, yeah. which customers who've been around this long and are going to decrease their spend by 80% in the next three months and not increase it accordingly in another channel because that doesn't count as canceling, et cetera. Whatever it is, you have to flesh out the details with business considerations and business stakeholder in input on that level of detail. Mm -hmm. Then how do you measure its performance? What are the right metrics in terms of pure predictive performance and in terms of the business outcomes you're hoping for in terms of the improved profit, ROI, savings, number of customers saved, business metrics. And then what's done about it, how are you actually driving decisions? Like I'm going to automatically hold all card transactions that have that are above, you know, are, are more than 80% likely to be fraudulent right. or more than 50% more likely to be fraudulent. Or whatever it is, you have to make the decision and those are business driven decisions. And on that level of semi-technical understanding, we need to get that the stakeholders. Now, 
in that sense, if we want to compare this to the to the pitfalls for digital transformations in general, I would hazard to say that for these enterprise machine learning projects, the problem is worse because it deals with probabilities and people aren't often comfortable with or trained in thinking about it. They think I'm going to delegate all these details of this project to the data scientist and that's a huge mistake because they, because business side stakeholders must be involved every step of the way, get involved in that level of detail, not be afraid of it, and realize it's completely pertinent. I mean, if you're driving hundreds of thousands of operational decisions, it, you're going to use a little math to, to, to improve right. how well that works. Yeah. And so, I mean, along those lines, then, you know, how the, there definitely is a divide, you know, between that as you're talking the, the the business side and the the data science scientists, how do you suggest beginning to bridge that gap? Well, I, the first thing is is that semi technical understanding what's predicted, how well, and what's done about it. And in fact, that kind of defines half of the six step practice that I present in the book. I call it BizML, the business practice for running machine learning projects okay. successfully to their actual culminating deployment. And then, of course, you have to monitor and, and, and upkeep them afterwards. But to participate in those six steps, you, you need deep collaboration and unification between the tech and biz sides. And the business professionals, the non-data scientists, also need that level of under, understanding. It's not the rocket science. It's not how does it learn from data, right. although you can get a good sense of that just as same as I understand about internal combustion. I don't have to open the hood of my car to drive, but I know those principles and they're cool and it's interesting. You can get that, but you don't have to delve into it or change any spark plugs. Instead, this isn't the rocket science. It's how to use the rocket science, which involves science that creates probabilities. So I hate to use the word probability, but dude, people have got to stop like beating around the bush. That's what we're actually talking about. It's 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 much more accessible than high school algebra, much more interesting, pertinent, relevant, and and cool as heck. So look, you got to get into the details or you're going to let your data scientists sort of run their cubicle into a corner and, and what they turn out is not necessarily going to be re- business relevant or understood by people who would are the decision makers that would authorize this deployment. And that's the phenomenology that happens over and over again. These projects, most new machine learning projects fail to deploy. If you're like me, it's hard to keep up with all the trends, fads, and critical concepts that marketing and CX leaders need to know about. To help, I've partnered with some of the world's most notable MarTech thought leaders to create the Agile Brand Guides book series. These are short reads, three hours or less, on important topics like generative AI, customer data platforms, MarTech infrastructure evaluation, and more. They're available in print, digital, and audio formats, and quickly get you up to speed on critical topics that leaders and aspiring leaders need to understand. Search for Agile Brand Guides on Amazon or go to the Agile Brand Guide website at www.agilebrandguide.com. That's agilebrandguide.com for more. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. So, I mean, do you think it's that business leaders are looking for, for lack of a better term, certainty versus probability? Is that, you yeah. know, that is it that fear of, because I mean, there, there's yeah, another- that's part of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so uh, now I would say that most business stakeholders can wrap their head around the, the, if, and when it sort of is spelled out for them, they can understand that, Hey, okay, this thing isn't highly confident, uh, confident in most cases it's predicting better than guessing. It puts probabilities more than just sort of absolutely not, or definitely. And that can be extremely valuable, um, for, for targeting marketing, fraud detection, and all these large scale operations. But what they don't get is, okay, well, then how do I put a number on that? Because it turns out everyone talks about accuracy, which is literally just how often is it correct. Yeah. But that number, it turns out because it doesn't differentiate between different kinds of errors when it says yes and the answer should be no and vice versa, those are two very different types of errors called false positives and false negatives. And they incur very different costs. You hold a credit card charge that's not fraudulent, that's a false positive, or you let somebody get away with fraud. That's a false negative. They have very different costs associated with them. They make a big difference. Accuracy is usually the wrong metric and is very misleading. Instead, there are other metrics, but stakeholders are never, never hear about them because they're just sort of, there's this secrecy or something. It's like, (laughs) or intimidation and and data scientists don't, you know, the gap, it's a culture gap is, is, is largely the problem, but it's not just, so there's one, one metric called lift and it's basically a multiplier. How much better than guessing does it do? But the other thing is you also need to be translating to the business metrics like profit and number of customers saved. That's ultimately the goal of the project anyway. And it is possible Generally, that's a major omission, and therefore you're not bridging this gap to the stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. So you um, you mentioned the the framework, the BizML framework that you talk about in the book. Um, wanted to just, uh, if you don't mind, ta- explaining at a high level what it is, why you thought it was needed as well. Right. Well, I mean, I'd say that most stakeholders, business stakeholders, don't recognize yet the need for customized business practice to run these projects successfully. I'd say that most senior data scientists do understand that, but the gap is is largely unbridged, even if it's a senior enough data scientist, partly because no one, there's just, there's not a standard out there that's well known to business professionals. So that's why I coined this magical five letter buzzword, BizML. You know, that took me like a week to come up with those five letters. And Breaking it down to six steps, the idea of breaking into these sort of steps where you reverse plan and the final step is deployment, but the first step is to plan for that, is to define what that deployment is. The general concept's not that alien. What's important is to get everyone on the same page, have a common word or buzzword or framework for it. I'm calling it BizML. And then the steps almost write themselves once you really pull apart what an enterprise machine learning project is meant to do. The first three steps are to establish the deployment goal, prediction goal, and evaluation metrics. So that corresponds to the three things I've already been talking about, just in a a different order. It's the deployment goals, what's predicted, what's done about it. The prediction goal is the same thing that just what's predicted, but you got to get more detailed about it. And then the third thing is how well the evaluation metrics, the the quantitative assessment of how good the predictive model is and how much business value it could deliver depending on how you deploy it. Those are kind of pre-production steps. And then the other three of six steps are the steps that are intrinsic to any machine learning project, which is prep the data, train the model over, over that data, 
and then deploy the model. That's that's where you're actually making difference. The deployment, the integration, the operationalization, that's where the output, the predictions output by the model are actually affecting change and improvements to those operations. So if the customer is likely to buy, let's market to them. If it's likely to be fraudulent, let's hold or, or audit the transaction, et cetera. So now you do have to monitor moving forward after that. I do address that in, in the book after after the, but the main six step chapters are established around those six steps that get us to potentially finally start culminating with successful deployments much more often than the current dismal track record. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, yeah. And definitely, um, you know, recommend people pick up the book to, to learn more about that, that framework. One last topic I wanted to talk about is, you know, you had referred a little bit earlier about the, you know, the hype around AI. It's hard, it's hard to escape it, but also that, yeah, there's, there's some danger in, in the hype as well. And so, you know, we talk a lot about, particularly generative AI on the show, but, you know, I've certainly talked about predictive and, and some other areas, but given the hype, you know, if you could talk about maybe two, two parts of this is, you know, where is the hype warranted maybe, and maybe elaborate a little bit more on, you know, why should people be cautious about, you know, kind of giving into the hype? Can I answer those in reverse order? So of course, I say that, yeah. That, I mean, because I think the caution is the most important thing in light of the extraordinary hype we're seeing. Yeah. Basically, it comes down to how autonomous is this thing going to be? Autonomous. Like, is it going to be able to operate on this particular task or role or job by itself without a human in the loop at each step? And I think that there's a false promise of near-term autonomy for many enterprise operations that people are buying into. Even more to take that to its logical conclusion, AGI, artificial general intelligence, where the computer is literally an artificial human, right? It can it can do any ta- any cognitive task or intellectual task. That that that's just a qualifier to differentiate it from robots, but that's barely a difference. It could run a company. It could be the executive of Fortune 500 company. It, you know, you can onboard it just like you would a human employee and let it rip. That's in the most extreme case. I do not think that the amazing progress that we have marks a concrete step in that direction as seemingly human-like as it is. And the irony is that even though what we have with generative is more seemingly human-like, ironically, it actually lends itself to less potential autonomy because it's taking on things that are need to be done so carefully, human mm. writing, what have you. You need to proofread everything that it does. The large language models are meant to sound human-like in the sense that literally that's what they're trained to do since they're operating one word at a time. But But the core models themselves are not designed to be, to meet higher order human goals like being correct, right? So it's not that it's flabbergasting that it's wrong or make stuff up. For me, it's flabbergasting that it's correct so often. And it is, it's amazing, but it's not, you know, it's not reliable. Whereas with predictive applications, which can certainly serve to be the antidote to hype in the sense that the antidote is to is to focus on concrete value, those are the established long-term, decades-old applications of machine learning. You call it predictive analytics. It's older, but it's not old school. It's hotter in the sense that there's still a lot more money being thrown at and made by it. And there's still a tremendous amount of untapped untapped opportunity. The majority of potential use cases, because of what I've been talking about with you today, are as yet untapped. So that can be a really helpful antidote. That doesn't mean we should throw out generative AI, 
I'm just leading with temp- tempering the hype. I don't mean to be a naysayer. I do think it's incredible. Writing a first draft of code or English or any human language, extremely valuable and a, a, in a sense, a game-changing time saver in some scenarios, although you never really know till you kind of try for your particular case, right? right? There's a very experimental nature to it. It's ad hoc in that sense. It's kind of like a, a tool that you might use while you're trying to do a job where, you, where you're either writing code or you're, or you're writing copy yeah. or creating images. Which, which is amazing. And I am dumbfounded. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a former academic and a big part of my research life was in natural language processing. I was in a natural language processing research group for six years and I never thought I would see what we're seeing today in my lifetime. So as flabbergasted as I am, I also think it's somehow at the same time, you have to hold two thoughts in your head and be like, that doesn't mean it's moving towards general human level capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Well, Eric, thanks so much for joining. Uh, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, you've given a lot of great advice and insights already, but you know, for those listening that want to, uh, let's say, ensure greater success in their their machine learning initiatives, you know, how, what would your advice be as a next best action? Well, I mean, you got to start with the value, the business value, the organizational value. So, what's the large scale operation that stands to be improved? Where are there tens or hundreds or of thousands or millions of decisions made every day in the targeting of the marketing or the fraud detection or which ad gets served on the web page and product recommendations there's a there's a real and there's a there's a sort of several main established ones but then there's this endless long tail of opportunities depending on your particular business so you need to look for that opportunity where decisions are made in a certain way but they could potentially be done better. So you start with that. You start with the end goal, the way the way in which prediction is going to improve operations. Great, great. Well, and one quick, one more quick thing for those interested in learning more about Machine Learning Week, uh, where can they go? So machinelearningweek.com is our conference. That's the first week of June in Phoenix. Um, we got the full program there. We also have a sister conference, n- new sister. They're co-located. Generative, generative AI world. You might you might ask, what's generative AI world about? It's about generative AI. <laughs> and then for my book, the book is about the BizML playbook. It's called the AI playbook, and it's at bizml.com. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Eric Siegel, founder of Machine Learning Week and author of the AI Playbook, Mastering the Rare Art of Machine Learning Deployment, for joining the show. You can learn more about Eric, his book, and Machine Learning Week by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile brand guides covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand.